Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR. This is Rose. Over the last century, Australia has taken a huge leap forward for the human rights of those living with a mental illness by working towards deinstitutionalisation. Taking into account the ineffectiveness of institutional care, along with the possibilities for neglect and abuse in long-term institutionalisation, shifting mental health care to the community has become a priority for governing bodies. However, despite the closure of all traditional asylums, an alarming number of individuals are incarcerated with treatable mental illnesses. Often these individuals' needs and symptoms are poorly understood by law enforcement, leading to unnecessarily traumatic conditions, poor support structures and ultimately exacerbated health conditions. Forensic institutions, that is mental health specific centres of incarceration, have shockingly higher rates of abuse and uncertainty in prisoners' duration of imprisonment. Today, I chat with Brett Collins of the unique prisoner advocacy organisation Justice Action about the great work they do to restore some balance into the system. Justice Action really has a unique role. We've we've been told by international criminologists that our our position, our, our form, uh, and the work we're doing is unique in the world, which is a very significant statement. It also lays a bit of uh, a, a responsibility uh, on us to do some unique work. And so I guess what, what um, those two criminologists were talking about was um, the independence we have. Uh, we, we fund ourselves, we're a voluntary organisation, and to, so we can, can uh, go and stand beside the most unpopular people and, so, and do so with uh, the strength of an organisation from outside that has, uh, has history and, um, and also has a significant uh, group of, of uh, volunteers. All right, so you obviously do a lot of good work with uh, mental health and incarceration as well. What sort of treatment do people receive in incarceration and is it adequate? Well, look, the mental health material um, came in, has been, I suppose, part of our work for a long period. Um, the you know the idea of standing beside people um, inside prisons has been you know, where uh, we began, and so and I guess as an ex-prisoner myself, I did spend ten years in jail in the highest security unit. I was wondering if you could give our listeners just a bit of a picture of what the difference between a, a mainstream sort of prison and a forensic uh, psychiatric institution was. Well, you know, <laughs> they used to actually hold. Here in New South Wales, they used to hold the same, um, both uh, prisoners who were um, deemed to be psychiatrically disturbed um, and uh, who, who became mentally ill after they were uh, held in prison and, and people mm. who were found not guilty due to mental illness, they were held in the same, under the same conditions, oh, in wow. the same awards. 
Now, that, that quite often uh, still continues in, in other states, I know. Um, in, in New South Wales, they separated them into to, um, the, putting them into a, a uh, institute held under the health department and as opposed to the held under the, under the prison department. But to all intents and purposes, the, the same uh, behaviour uh, uh, applies to both. You know, the conditions inside the health department are actually better. Uh, there's no question about that. But the actual... Uh, the, the strength of the uh, of the uh, prisoners and patients' rights to um, to uh, de- decide what is the right treatment and and their right to dignity, the right to um, to respect, um, is uh, non-existent for both categories of people. I had a couple of times uh, I was uh, put to um, to uh, 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 have a psychiatric examination to see whether, in fact, um, I should be. Um, put under the act uh, whilst I was in in prison. So you know they were tending to um, uh, to try to uh, deal with me as a as as if it were I were a mental health patient because I caused them problems. And so so you know the our interest in mental health is, uh, goes back a long way. It's um, a very personal one, and it has become increasingly important over the last uh, probably I'd say the last ten years uh, when we've been uh, focusing really I suppose on on. Uh, uh, some particular cases which allow us to highlight the problems and for forensic patients and also involuntary patients. And so, and uh, run some court cases and also uh, stand beside them as carers and and so, and make sure that uh, they don't stand alone. You've done a lot of work um, in terms of the sort of access to care people in those uh, specific health-run facilities get. Do you think that right now they're getting adequate treatment? Oh, look, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Look, the the, the whole area of mental health is just a a, a, a basic dishonesty. Like, we we are just constantly shaking our heads and saying, no, who are these people of such uh, high esteem um, as the the, um, chief psychiatrists in each of the states and territories in New Zealand um, who, when we confront uh, with a simple question uh, about whether or not the medication... Um, should be properly uh, uh, checked and ensure that the consumer uh, actually wants it uh, and uh, for that to be documented. They all dodge. It's an ab- absolute, absolutely amazing um, how they can talk um, in uh, major conferences about the reduction of seclusion and restraint and talk about um, uh, offering less violence uh, um, to uh, uh, psychiatric patients and also prisoners um, in mental health units. And, um, and at the same time, refuse uh, to uh, to check on the figures and actually even to, to uh, even to um, in, ensure that the rules that um, uh, that uh, are in existence are properly adhered to. And when we put the questions to them very harshly, um, they dodge it. They try and ignore it. They, um, and uh, and so that's where we are at the moment. You know, it's a very serious um, a dishonesty which seems to be in a part of the culture. Right, so that something I'm kind of curious about is uh, how do you quantify mental illness? How do you say that someone shouldn't be in the regular prison population and they should be in, like, a, a forensic institute? Is How do they, like, quantify that? I'm just kind of curious. Look, look, look that's absolutely the question. In fact, look, the, the more period we, we spend around the issue of mental health, the more we question some really basic ideas I mean, even to use the term mental health um, straight away forces you into the health situation, which is not, we, we found, it doesn't really um, uh, properly define the situation at all. We found uh, like some very significant analysis uh, that we actually put together in, in a publication called Mad in Australia, 
which actually says really clearly that third world countries, uh, countries where medication is not generally available, they have three times the rate of recovery, like people actually returning to work and, and being functional, three times the rate compared to first world countries who use medication. So you know, when, when those figures are out front, the World Health Organization actually says those things. And when it says um, how significant it is to have social support right, instead of medication, or even as well as some medication, if the, if the, if the uh, patient uh, consumer wants that, well, well um, uh, uh, you know, if, they, if they don't take that on board, honestly and directly, and, and accept the fact that the health department has not got a, um, uh, a, a monopoly uh, on mental illness, uh, then you know we've got some major problems, and really that's where it is at the moment. We're we're battling on that one. That is that is the the definition of mental illness and, and the entitlement of of people to decide you know what they need and how and to define their own recovery. Absolutely, there's certainly some uh, answers that the pharmaceutical industry is definitely accountable for that we um, need to pay attention to. I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit about the work that Justice Action has done in terms of, of tackling the forced medication issue for um, inmates. Well, we've done a series of things. I mean, look, I guess the first thing was I began first was as a bit shocked um, to discover that Absolutely. the doctors were, uh, were more concerned about... Um, the the uh, sorry the the, uh, the prisoners were more concerned about the doctors in the in the wards than they were about the warders. <laughs> that, that that actually um, the doctors were more uh, uh, feared could raise their medication could do arbitrarily whatever they want um, yes. uh, uh, against prisoners. Whereas warders had a, at least a much more benign approach. Well, we, and when we became aware of that, we started to realise that, that there was a, a real um, a, 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 a gap in, in what the medical profession should be doing and what it actually was doing. So we then took a series of court cases up and beginning in 2010. And so we then became primary care to a particular uh, patient, a patient, mental health um, uh, uh, consumer uh, in the forensic uh, hospital and, and stood beside him, still are standing beside him uh, since uh, about 2000, probably uh, well, about eight, 2007, 2008, and have run a series of court cases on his behalf, working with him, and to, to define what is the entitlement of him to say no. And, and who, is, who is to say whether he's um, mentally ill and, and what um, are the symptoms of mental illness that they would, that they would um, define their, their treatment by? And they, they've changed the medication in that particular case. I think it's, I think it's nine times in the period of 13 years um, and, in which they could do whatever they want to with him. And, and at no time has he had any benefit. Uh, he, all he has is he's, uh, he has, now he has diabetes he has um, uh, he has a heart problem. He has a, he has he is badly overweight, and um, and he can't think properly. He has all these side effects, which are really serious physical side effects, and they're still forcing him a new medication on him. Mm. Now they're the sort of things that we just stand back and are appalled. And and um, and, and I must say, one of the reasons we're so you know very closely involved in in, in uh, mental health um, is that there's been now an incursion of of mental health into prisons. So um, many people, many um, good-thinking people have said, um, oh, well, look, there are a lot of mentally ill people in jail, so we should make sure that we um, get proper uh, medical treatment to those people. And they, and they really stand back thinking we're, that medical treatment will be um, a, a, some assistance to prisoners. Whoa, whoa, what a problem that is. And, and when we saw that incursion coming in, we understood how important it was to defend the rights of, of mental health patients 
uh, because, in fact, the same powers that are, are able to be used against them are equally used against prisoners. And so, and so we have now a situation where, where many good-thinking people um, believe that the more money spent on mental health services in prisons is to the benefit of the prisoners, whereas, in fact, it definitely is not. It's very destructive, very disempowering, and, and so uh, prisoners uh, walk out from uh, uh, these institutions uh, unable to cope and unable to function in the general community. So something I'm just wondering is how would you how would you go about solving this problem? Because you've obviously got this prison population that's really heavily medicated and that's all the help they're getting. Uh, does pri- would does prison need to be reformed? Does uh, do they need a better environment? Do they need the be- better well, socialisation or? Well, look, the first thing I think we should do is acknowledge how deep-seated is the problem. Like was the Inspector of Custodial Services report uh, that was brought down just a, a few months ago. And, so, and what they said was in one of the major jails where there were 800 prisoners, there were 500 of those 800 who were receiving medication every day that did not include um, opioid substitutes. So you're talking about all this antipsychotic medication that has been dispensed to prisoners every day, and of course which, upon which they become dependent. So what they've been doing there is making sure that um, prisoners can be managed easily, and in the process they end up with uh, uh, become addicted to the medication that they have, and they can be easily uh, uh, organised and pushed. And and, um, and of course once they are released, then they continue to be uh, um, dependent upon their medication. So medication that's, that's, restraint, you know, it's a travesty. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would have had a question. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm also wondering what, where does this problem come from? Is this because like the system it, is it the because I don't really think it's probably not the the doctors being evil doctors or anything like that. I feel like are they no, are the doctors not. also stuck in a system where they can't really do the right thing either? Well, then it's not really as simple as that because there is a structural problem happening here. The simplest thing for a, a, a an authoritarian organisation like a large institution is to have medication which they can insist on people taking. Then that's doesn't require them to speak to people. It doesn't require them to um, to personalise the interaction. Uh, they can uh, can always fill in the forms. They can always you know spend tick the boxes. Uh, but at the end of it, if they give medication to each prisoner uh, or patient, um, yeah. uh, then that's the that's the solution. That's a top down approach. Now, and and as I say, Madden Australia said it really clearly and had had a very fine um, uh, analysis which says that social support is a much more effective way of dealing with mental illness. And, and of course, uh, isolation in prisons and isolation in psychiatric institutions, it causes part of the problem. It's the exact opposite of what people need, people require. So, so what the, the solution to this um, is social support. But that requires a, a, a disempowerment of the medical profession. It means for them to step aside. And that's why there's, a, there's a, a, a very good reason to consider whether the term mental health, that term health, mm-hmm. is actually playing straight into the health profession's um, uh, hands. Because what we really have is social issues, social problems, and issues that can be solved with community support, with um, build, building up a, 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 a workforce which is com- comprises people who have the per- had personal experience themselves, like consumer workers, uh, who are currently in New South Wales. There are, I, I think, about 70 people who are, who are actually employed by the health department and who are part of the staff and who are consumer workers. And they should be the front line 
of support um, for people who have who have some some dis- personal disturbance, who are who are who are uncomfortable, who are um, uh, disturbed on the street, who are uh, in any situation like that. It should not be the police running in um, with the with their um, guns and and uh, and threatening people. And the moment that person picks up a knife or or looks um, as though they could possibly be threatening and then killing them. Now, that's an outrage. And what they do need is they need sympathetic people with time on their hands to spend some time beside them, with, uh, being aware of the, of the experience from personal knowledge and dealing with that person as a human being and taking their time and not doing it in a violent way. Absolutely, and there is a whole body of evidence to say that peer support is not only cost-effective but the most effective way of providing people with you know, counselling services and AOD services, etc. Um, on your point about police, do you think that the misconception that m- mental illness is associated with violence influences how they interact when, when police encounter somebody in, in mental health crisis on the street? Oh, look, absolutely, absolutely. And then, and look, I've many times seen, um, like in the prisons, I've seen um, people um, hyped up um, by a, a confrontation from the authorities where people could easy, just as easily be talked down and, and, um, and be listened to and understand there's an issue, an underlying issue to be dealt with. Um, so instead of offering a sympathetic ear, they run in with the... Uh, with the guns and the threats, and and so uh, because they really feel well, I, you know, this this person is not going to listen to me. I couldn't, I can't, get, I can't communicate with this person, and also I'm in a hurry to get on to the next job. You know, so you have this professional mm. approach, which is once again top down. It's just mm. authority um, determining um, how this uh, uh, lesser individual, this person who's disturbed, um, should be handled. And we've got a limited time. This should be on um, out of the way in ten minutes, and we and we either get him in the wagon uh, and we on to into the next into the next job. Mm. So that's the approach, and that's the problem. And, and so it's the it's the need for consumer workers um, and linked up in the way they say it it should be the case. See, one thing that really disturbs us is that every organisation, every organisational presentation, every like the National Mental Health Commission, the state mental health commissions, they all agree that consumer workers are essential, an essential part of the workforce. They need to be brought in, but mm. it never happens. It doesn't happen in practice because the, the, the doctors and the psychiatrists have control of the, of the profession. And they, at all stages, um, they are determining the direction and they definitely are not going to be listening to consumer workers and that's what's happening. So it seems like uh, a lot of the problems here, to me, stem from uh, you're not actually treating prisoners like human beings, they're just like treating them like numbers. Do you think, you, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Look, one of the, I suppose we have quite a few strengths and, and you know, to... Um, to be critical of the uh, health professions, you know, that's basic. I mean, we all can understand and see how, how failed uh, it is, and certainly in the mental health area and the prisons. You know, both, um, uh, certainly in Victoria, I know there's been a general acceptance that there's an increase in imprisonment that um, in a service no purpose and, and so, you know, so politically motivated. The same thing is happening here in New South Wales and, and so, you know, generally all, all over the thir- first world countries, actually, except the US, surprisingly. Um, but uh, so there's general acceptance that uh, that you know imprisonment is, is not working, and it and and um, it, it requires um, a, a, the the strength of the of the increasing numbers for those those people to have their voices out, and that's where what that's what we're trying to do all the time. That's where um, our, our projects like, for example, I Express and and the newspaper Just Us 
and and um, and speaking to you guys, speaking to, to to the media, making sure that the that the entitlement of, of mental health patients to to actually have a name, right? To say, you know, this is my name. My my name is Said Dizfuli, you know, and winning it, winning that case, and making sure that his name is out. And he's a real person, not somebody who's a non-person who um, who is uh, uh, lost in the uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, white walls of a of a ward with uh, all these professionals hovering around. Now we, we see it again and again: uh, massive m- amounts of money. Uh, each each psychiatric um, uh, uh, patient here in New South Wales costs the taxpayer two hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. And yet, a consumer worker could be employed for fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars a year, and would do the job much better. Um, you mentioned some of your fantastic uh, advocacy campaigns that um, that uh, Justice Action has worked on. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the current Mad Australia campaign? Well, sure. I mean, look, look, our campaigns really uh, go to the issues of, of self empowerment. I mean, we you know the, we we see our role most of all is to is to ensure that the voices of people inside the prisons and the hospitals um, can actually be heard. And so we make sure that that we step back um, and and let them talk. We make sure that we whenever we get the chance, um, uh, we get uh, people's statements out and get them up for the media. We try and get families out as well, which is obviously very difficult. But we 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 make sure that um, that uh, uh, we work on. Uh, expanding um, the uh, uh, the uh, the number of voices and making sure those statements are out as, as strongly and firmly as is possible and protecting them. So that's we we see that as our job. So so having computers and cells, for example, we see as a basic issue. Now that's, that shouldn't there should never even be a question that every person who's locked in a cell should have a computer there, access to um, to education as of right, access to counselling. As to you no know, social support, access to their family and their community, you know. Um, so, so all those things are really basic. A computer in the cell, basic stuff. Access to the internet, so they can express themselves and have a, a sense of who they are and their own, and maintain their self-esteem. Not to have somebody somebody say that they have no insight into their problems. There are people outside who are happy to support those inside, and if it requires um, cyberspace to link them up, then that's what we need to do. And that's what the purpose of iExpress is about. And of course, just us, the newspaper, is once again we we found when we when we uh, uh, had enrolled for the first time to vote, um, uh, prisoners, uh, sorry, patients um, in say Victorian mental health um, uh, uh, psychiatric institutions and all other states and territories, their psychiatric institutions, many of them had never been even considered to be to be um, uh, uh, enrolled to vote. And so we went, mm-hmm. hey. These people have an entitlement to enrol to vote. And so we made sure they didn't get enrolled throughout every state and territory. And then and then we followed up with a newspaper that went into them um, to ensure that they that their right to vote was of some value. And we intend to do that again for the next federal election. <laughs> um, I was wondering if you had a picture of, of how um, Australian incarceration for, for mentally unwell individuals measures up internationally. I look, I think it's pretty much the same all over the world, quite honestly. Um, the, in third world countries, it's much better. In third world countries, places like uh, the Philippines and, um, and uh, in uh, South American countries, uh, there's a, a preparedness by authorities in India, um, a preparedness by authorities to, to allow uh, families to uh, uh, share time with their, 
with the locked ones and the loved ones inside. And so that's a very important uh, uh, role for um, social support. So that that's, uh, is definitely better in third world countries. That's, um, that's so disallowed, that, disallowed in Australia, visitation? Uh, it's not allowed in Australia, no, it's not. Um, so, uh, so you, the, you know, the difficulty of getting, you know, even entering as uh, into, for example, the forensic hospital here in here in um, New South Wales, we had a, a great long line of uh, of um, friends of Saeed Desfouli uh, to visit him, and they had all sorts of reasons um, to not allow him to visit. And we, when we eventually logged it, and we said, look, this is what we were told, this is what you did, this is what we, this is the person we spoke to on a certain day, and we then confronted them what they, with what they had been doing. They went, oh, okay. We have to look at this more carefully. So now, at least, we have access um, to our focus person, say this fully. Um, uh, but the the entitlement to visit and the entitlement for families to stay is very fragile. Wow, I can't believe it. <laughs> All right, so uh, so I think a lot of people probably you've probably heard this argument a lot, but a lot of people might think you know these prisoners have broken the law and they're in prison for a reason, and that's to be punished. And uh, they probably shouldn't be enjoying it. Uh, so why should why should people care about prisoners? Do, do you get what I mean? Look, it's, yeah, look, it's not even a question of that. I mean, first of all, when you're in jail, you, you've lost everything. You know, you've if you have um, you know, three years or five years in jail. Now you've lost your family, you've lost your um, access to all the standard things that you have. Now, if you really um, try to uh, uh, put extra losses into that experience inside prison, what are you doing is degrading the person. Mm-hmm. Now, the intention from the taxpayer's point of view is that the person should not re-offend. So, I mean, we don't, we're not trying to degrade the person so when the person gets out, having finished their sentence, that they're more likely to re-offend, more likely to be more dangerous, having learned skills from other people around them or, or having, having become drug addicted or having become uh, you know, more desperate or having nothing outside, no, having no training and not being able to fit back. And they're, they're the sort of things that that's, um, the taxpayer doesn't want to, want to, want to have happen. They don't want someone to be released from jail and then, then um, the next day uh, to be so desperate that they haven't got a home to stay in that they want to go back to jail and they end up being, uh, being, uh, uh, having some, some uh, offence committed against them. Now, that's not what the taxpayer wants. So the, the idea of um, having a cushy experience inside prison is ridiculous. Now, people lost everything. Right? And, um, and at that stage, um, it should be everybody's interest in ensuring that they uh, lift, their, lift their game. They uh, understand how um, they can survive outside uh, in the community. And they also learn some new social skills as well, because you know, quite often um, it, it, it can be you know, not, the, uh, not the individual um, uh, in uh, 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 you know, it's, it's his or her own fault. It can be a whole range of different things, disabilities and a whole range of different ways where the person has always needed assistance and didn't get it. And they found it easier to arrest the person, put them in jail and isolate them for a period rather than actually dealing with their problems at the time of the um, of uh, some disturbance having occurred. And, and that's the stage at which there should be intervention and social support and intervention and also, and also to ensure that the victim if it's somebody has been has has um, uh, been injured, somebody's been hurt, that that person is looked after compassionately. Yeah, so, so I suppose you can't really rehabilitate somebody if you exclude them from society. That's how it sounds. 
Oh, absolutely. Look, you, clearly the person has got to come to terms with, with what they did do and to, and to also linking them back into their own community and, and making sure that they um, whatever problems they had are solved right there and then at the same time and taking into account the victim's needs as well. Now, it's all very well to use the victim as a, as a, as a witness and then to step back and think, well, um, uh, no, so much for you, buddy. No, you've you've served our purpose. Discard the victim, leave the victim, leaving the victim angry, um, uh, and then spend a lot of money uh, locking uh, the offender up um, in, in a use in, in bad in a, in um, a, a degrading situation. Now, what we should do is ensure that the victim, first of all, is supported and doesn't have um, a grief and um, and concerns of safety for the future. And then we should make sure that the offence doesn't happen again. That's a that's a much more productive uh, uh, justice uh, support system, and and likewise a mental health support system. Absolutely, and I'm sure the prosecution process is quite traumatising for the victim. It's a great point that you've raised there. Um, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Brett. You've um, given us a bit of an insight onto uh, the human rights injustices that have been occurring in prison okay. and the work that you're doing. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, well, Rose, look, very, um, uh, you know, it's going to be obviously a long-term battle. Uh, like we were just amazed to see how uh, how difficult the mental health area is, and and um, how uh, how the culture is uh, uh, just um, uh, doesn't respect uh, human rights at all. We just um, keep shaking our heads with horror. And so, you know, it'll be an ongoing battle, and so we're very pleased to give any support we can um, to, you know, our community uh, in other states. And so, and if anyone wants to make contact with Justice Action, um, they can can do so. We've got our PO Box three eight six Broadway two double seven. So PO Box three eight six Broadway two double seven, or um, or to the uh, your phone, you can phone to us as well. O two nine two eight three o one two three. Fantastic, and we'll make those details available on our website as well. If you found any of today's show distressing and you need somebody to talk to, you can call Lifeline on 131114 or the MI Fellowship Hotline on 84864222. That's it from Brainwaves. Tune in next week on Wednesday at 5pm for more from Brainwaves. Up next... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.